Hello and welcome to the Research Connection Podcast, the show that brings current expertise and cutting edge research and connects it with users in the community. Chris, do you have a favorite book? The book with no pictures. The book with no pictures. That's a funny one, right? Why do you like that one? Because uh, it has no words like the robot. And Badoongi face. <laughs> and Badoongi face? Are there pictures in that book? No. Why not? Because it's called the book with no pictures. That makes sense. Yeah, it's it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so this is um this is really good timing actually because my daughter who's in grade four is in the other room having a reading assessment over Zoom. <laughs> or Teams. They're using MS Teams. So she's reading a Judy Moody book, I think, out loud to her teacher online like this. She's Brown in School Division? Yeah. Yes, so they're, they're probably using some of the materials that I developed. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so before we get started, why don't we take a minute to introduce ourselves. Jackie, would you like to start us off? Hi, everyone. I'm Jackie Kirk. Uh, I am the Chair of Leadership and Educational Administration in the Faculty of Education, and I am co-host of the podcast. I'm really excited that you could come in and talk with us today about this. I think uh, our time during the pandemic and the break while schools have been closed and what that means for literacy education and for the processes going forward, I think is a really important and timely topic. And so I'm excited to listen and to learn and to participate and thanks for being here. And I'm Michelle Lamb. I'm the director of BU CARES. CARES is the Center for Aboriginal and Rural Education Studies. And just like what Jackie said, I'm really excited to learn both from the perspective as an educator and researcher, but also as a parent, because I'm seeing this from both sides these days. Uh, Darlene, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm Darlene Keith. I'm the uh, literacy coach with Western School Division. So I'm working with the uh, K-8 to teachers in our division. So yeah, it's definitely been, been an interesting time. I didn't think I would experience something like this during my career, but I guess it's another thing that I can put on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I truly believe we'll all come out of this uh, stronger than we were before as far as education goes. So I think we have lots to learn from it and trying to see the positive side of it. Excellent. I like that. Me too. Joe, do you want to introduce yourself to sure. Good morning, everyone. I'm Joe Stouffer. I'm an assistant professor in Brandon University and my research and my, my work centers around literacy education, particularly in the early years, but I've, I've worked with lots of school divisions here in Manitoba and really across Canada. So it, it's interesting this time of how we've had to, to pivot so quickly in our, in our pedagogy and in our approaches. And I think it's really helped divisions um, distill down what's really important in education and set priorities. So I, I'm looking forward to the conversation you know, not only from the theoretical perspective, but the really, the, the reality that, that a lot of teachers and families had to face during this time, which was, you know, came at us so quickly. Like I said, I think we, we learned lots. Certain, certainly it'll help us plan to be even better as we move forward and see what the new reality is going to be. So when I invited all of you to the podcast, we had planned to talk about assessing literacy remotely and what that looks like, but we just got the notice from the provincial government that uh, schools are going to be reopening for some assessments in person. And so we're not sure yet what that looks like, but I, I think that maybe we might need to change some of the direction of this conversation. What do you all think? It's, it's interesting because uh, 
you know, we can talk about what we've kind of put in place for, for the distance learning, but it, you know, as of June 1st, it's kind of all moot again, like it's shifting yet again. And who yeah. knows what that's going to look like. Like I think now all the school divisions are scrambling to kind of reconfigure. And just listening to teachers online, like there's so much confusion about what they're supposed to do. Like Darlene, I don't know, have you guys had a chance in Western to talk about what, what that will mean for your, like for your literacy assessments in particular? Um, well, you know what, I think our division is going to stick with the memo that we had sent out because we've got quite a few teachers that they're concerned about, well, what are they doing with their own children at home and they can't find daycare or childcare for them. So we've got that concern going on. And then we've got the concern of, well, if the schools are open to the public and some students can come in, who are those students going to be and how long can they be there for and what are all the different regulations for that and who's going to clean the room after that student has been there and how many can we have at the same time so there's a lot of questions there's concern about the august startup date as well like people have said well i've been working so hard as it is all the way through the year it's not like i took time off in fact probably teaching remotely has been harder than being in class right like that was that would have been the default or the norm for us but when you're doing something new it takes longer to adjust and they feel like Everybody's been working harder than they would have if we had stayed in the classroom. And now it feels like a penalty, the fact that uh, we have to go back in August. And I think for families, too, because I, I, it's not like they've been on summer break either. So <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of thinking that went into why we would start after Labor Day as a tradition. And, you know, what that meant not only for, for education and teachers, but for the tourism industry, for families. Yeah, I feel for the high school kids that maybe they did secure a summer job. And if they, I, I don't think the kids will go to class in August. They're going to finish off the job till September long weekend and then start classes after that. And the teachers will have to be backtracking. And that was one of the reasons for starting after Labor Day weekend so that kids could continue their summer jobs and get that experience. And then everybody's starting classes at the same time. So you have to have recovery learning for the recovery learning that happens in that first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it'll be interesting to see what happens in the fall. Can you sort of paint some broad strokes for us of how assessment and literacy assessment or reading assessment, how that's looking during COVID-19 and how it's changing? How it's changing. One of the things that I am noticing is I'm having a lot of questions from the teachers that I talk with on a weekly basis or sometimes daily. And some of the shifting of assessing literacy is going more onto the writing side, which I have been quite happy to hear about. We often talk about how reading and writing are so connected. And honestly, I don't think the kids see the connection. However, with the situation that we're in right now, when we're always saying to the kids, you know, you need to reread what you wrote. I think that now has a better understanding because they go to write something, the teacher can't really see it, but we have to get them to read it to us or to the teacher. So if the student is reading it to the teacher and it doesn't make sense, now when we say to them or when we prompt them with, you know, does that make sense? That prompt really hits home now. They realize that, oh yeah, you know what? I just read that out loud to somebody and they didn't understand what I wrote. So I think they're really seeing that strong connection between the reading and the writing. So for me, I think writing has helped with the reading assessment. So that's just one of my ideas floating around. Great. Thanks, Darlene. You know, one, one thing that we've talked about and that I've been thinking a lot about too is, is the idea that we've, we've passed a lot of responsibility for instruction 
I think either literally or we've, we've kind of implied it to, to parents at home, where in the past we, you know, in my own practice, I was always really careful to send home books that I knew that the, the kids could be successful reading independently, because I always kind of worried that well-meaning parents would interject some ideas or, or do some strange things that, that they meant very well. For example, like I'd, I'd have a, you know, a note come back from mom or dad when we were in classroom saying, you know, we read this book, it was great. I covered up the pictures though, so they couldn't cheat <laughs> <laughs> while they're reading and, you know, cutting kids off of, of information that would, that would support their reading processing. So now we're, you know, when I, when I think about how even from like a, a very young age, when, when children are infants, how we encourage parents to read with them, to, to build that love of reading and so that they associate books with, with a happy emotion and a, a positive experience being forced into this virtual environment has kind of kind of cut us cut us off. I think something that a lot of teachers are struggling with is is that that disconnect physically where you know one of my favorite things to do as a teacher is just sit beside a, a, a student and listen to them read. And now it, it, it's in such a different context it, it's very jarring. How do we keep what's been working like you talked about the interconnectedness of reading and writing or some of the ways that online learning has been changing the way we're doing things how do we keep the best of what we've learned during this time once we go back to in-person classes i think for myself one of the things that we need to keep is the whole idea of feedback when we're disconnected like this that importance of giving feedback and then having the student make some changes or a, possibly a realization in the classroom is sometimes we try to tackle too much or maybe we're going too fast and with the situation that we're in right now we've had to chunk things down into much smaller pieces uh, what are the sequence of steps what are the sequence of skills do they have that sequence of skills what are they missing so when you start with a lesson and you give them a little bit of feedback you don't just want that lesson to be random. You want it to connect to the next piece. So I think the importance of feedback from teachers as we go back into the classrooms thinking about, okay, did I chunk it down into small enough pieces? Do I have a sequence of lessons that are going to make sense? And after each lesson, am I giving a piece of feedback that is constructive? Can the student understand what to do with that feedback and make changes so that we can move forward to show what the change has been to keep the cycle going of teaching, give some feedback, make some change. And I, and I think just to add on to, to what Darlene is saying, the idea that now in, in the remote context, I think it, it's made teachers really think about what am I assessing because we have such a limited window to work with students. You, you can't just be willy-nilly about what you're going to do at that time. You need to be very targeted and very specific. So I, I think it's helped teachers in some ways really narrow down what, what they're looking for. And, and without the student sitting beside you, or, or in some cases, you, the teacher might not even have a copy of the text that the student is reading. So I think that's been a positive in some ways in that it's shifted the emphasis away from accuracy of kids reading and their decoding to help teachers think about, well, are, are they actually understanding what they're reading? And, and it's put a more of a spotlight on comprehension, which, which teachers have had in front of them, but when we when we get into this pattern of oh, it's time for standardized assessments and you know you'll read and I'll tick off the boxes, it, it might make some teachers think about that the decoding is is the more the the emphasis. Where in reality, it's it's the comprehension. What does this mean? 
I've been wondering too about how it's changing parents and just their knowledge of their children's reading levels and struggles and skills. I think parents are thinking about school from the context of what kind of school system they went through. We often hear parents talk about, oh, that new math. And it's not necessarily the new math. It's just different from maybe how they learned. And I think with literacy, for a lot of parents, they went through a school system where they felt that a lot of time was spent on spelling tests. And that's why we get that question of, well, why aren't you doing spelling in class? Or why isn't there a spelling test on Friday? The system has changed. But when you're not an educator and you're not in the school every day, you don't know about those shifts in teaching. So I think it'll, I think it was a great learning experience for parents to see um, where is my child at. And when those comments are on the report card, hopefully they will have a better understanding now as we move forward. What do those comments really mean? One of the other things I was thinking about, some of the comments I've heard from parents is, you know, I, they won't sit long enough to do this piece of reading with me or I just spelt it for them and I told them what to write down. That whole idea of independence for students and not just independence as in, oh, they can do it themselves, but what can they do to help themselves when they get to a problem in reading or writing or with anything? We always need to be helping students to become independent and how can we help them do that? So the importance of how do I prompt them and getting them to try prompting themselves or asking themselves, well, what would the teacher say to me right now to help me? Because often when I'm in a classroom, if a student is asking a teacher a question, and I know that that child knows how to figure it out, I'll often step in between the teacher and the student, and I'll say to that student, what would you do if your teacher wasn't in the classroom right now? So trying to help them to be independent with their thinking. If the teacher wasn't there, how do you help yourself? Because right now the teacher's not there. What one little thing that came out of some conversations that I've had with, with friends who are parents is, I, I think one silver lining of this challenge has been parents really see how worksheets are a waste of time in lots of cases, because I've had lots of complaints from like, and, and, I, and I don't want to slam the, what teachers have had to do to, to get through this time. And, and sometimes it had to be a worksheet just to, to get a package out, particularly with families that don't have reliable internet, you know, and, and but, but the, when they see, you know, the value in, in the real life, the authentic experiences that we're trying to create in classrooms, I think parents will see a lot more value to that, even if it is different than the way that they experience school. I think that's a really great point that things have changed since we were students. And unless you're, you're sort of in that world with the changes, you don't always see it until suddenly you're the parent in the teacher chair for a while. So I can speak as a parent, that uh, I've had those experiences, which I wasn't expecting, to be honest, because I've been in the educational world for a while. And so I kind of thought I was on top of a lot of these changes. But it's been, I've been really impressed with just the level of communication and the job that teachers are doing has just been phenomenal, in my opinion. And the teachers are in the role now of not just supporting students, but supporting parents too. One thing that I've been wondering about, because we've seen a lot of changes, some very recent, about how we're going to be doing assessment, I wonder if we should talk about that as well. Like, what does assessment look like remotely? I know, Joe, you've been working on some support resources if you want to chat about that. And then there's some changes coming up very quickly, too. Yes, absolutely. So, so one of the conversations that I've been having with school divisions in this area is the, the, the challenge 
that conducting the normal formal assessments that we would do at year end would, would have to look a lot different because normally we would, we would put kind of reading instruction on pause towards the end of the year and, and stop and, and do a formal benchmark of kids and look at, get some comparative data in terms of where they started a school year and where they ended up in terms of an instructional reading level. It's a little different than what we do in the fall. Normally we do that, that formal assessment to, to set the stage in terms of where am I starting with kids and, and to help teachers plan out their, their initial groupings of kids for, for small group instruction and, and also set some instructional goals. But, but by year end, we usually just take a comparative measure. But this year that, that had to change in a, in a great deal because, because of the, the inequity of, of access to, to internet and the lack of reliability, plus those, those formal assessments which most school divisions used aren't designed to be delivered online. They, they require physical copies of books which are copyrighted, so they weren't prepared to, to move them into an online space. So, so now what we've tried to do is, is instead of looking at that formal assessment, just shifting the teachers to continuing their reading instruction and, and using the online uh, assessment to, to drive their reading instruction, just like they would in their classroom. So be it if they're working with a small, small group of students on a team meeting or on a Zoom meeting, or if they're uh, working one-on-one -on -one with a student, I, I just wanted to help teachers as I, I've been doing, not only remotely, but in classrooms as well, just clarify, you know, what is it you're looking for when, when you're listening to a student read, what you should be watching for or listening for, and, and what are those little flags point you to towards in terms of reading instruction. So, you know, when a student pauses, you know, what, what might that indicate about what they're thinking? Well, we'll never know for sure what another person is thinking, but, but to help teachers with that connecting reading behaviors to their instruction is, is, is always a challenge and always something that we're working on and improving. So it was fortunate that I just had kind of put out some new resources to help teachers with a classroom context in mind, but they, they were quite, uh, useful in this situation in terms of, you know, giving teachers something really concrete, even if they're not able to take a running record or that's not something part of their, their normal practice, just having, you know, a, a quick little guide to help them just as they're sitting and listening to students read in terms of, well, what's, what should I say? Because that, that's what teachers are always asking when I'm coaching them in classrooms is, you know, what do I say to kids? I think for myself, the word that comes to mind with doing assessment remotely like this, the thing that will change is that intentionality, making sure that teachers know what they're teaching towards. What was your instruction that you were working on? What are you assessing and what will your next step be? Uh, I think sometimes teachers try to tackle too much when they go to do reading assessment when they're in the classroom and they're trying to do something in decoding and fluency and comprehension. And then I'm still hearing the comment of, well, they can read, but they didn't understand what they read. Um, so I think that intentionality piece and getting the teachers to concentrate on that idea of, did they really understand what they read? Uh, and can they talk about it? The whole idea of doing a comprehension conversation, as opposed to the teacher throws a question at the student, student throws an answer back. Teacher throws a question, student throws an answer back. That's not really what a comprehension conversation is about. And if if parents are understanding the idea that worksheets aren't a great use of time, then question and answers aren't a great use of time either. But the value of a conversation to see what they're thinking about their reading is would be more beneficial. 
One of the ways that my daughter's teacher has assessed her reading was that my daughter had to make a video of herself reading a book and then talking about it. And I was thinking about that after that probably as a teacher, having a video would be really handy because if you need to watch it multiple times, I wonder if you would catch things in different ways that you wouldn't necessarily catch in a one-on-one -on -one conversation that you catch what you catch in that moment and then it's over. The downside is probably that you can't do that sort of question, you know, why did you pause there or whatever the kind of in-person assessment questions you might want to ask. That is, that's really interesting, Michelle, because I've been thinking about that, that whole notion of students recording themselves or having their parent record them if they're younger and, and sending that to the teacher. Years ago, uh, actually one of my case study teachers when I did my dissertation had a selectively mute student in her classroom in grade one who would not speak at all in, in the classroom environment. And, and I just thought, how is this teacher going to teach the student to read when she won't even speak? And it was amazing the creativity the, the teacher had that she, she arranged because the child would speak at home. So she would do a reading lesson, send the book home with the student and the student would read it with mom and they'd record it and send it back. And it was this back and forth process. So what an amazing connection between the home and the school and outside of the box thinking to, to arrange for the student to be successful. But, you know, we, we still kind of have this opportunity now from this challenge to kind of keep those home connections and, and for students that maybe have anxiety or you know don't perform as well in front of their friends in a classroom or in front of a teacher you know we we have this option that's been put in front of us when i've been working with some teachers and meeting with them by video conference and i've been asking about certain students in their room and they'll say oh so and so is thriving by remote learning. So I think as we move forward, that's something uh, the education area needs to be thinking about is the students that were thriving by remote learning, is there a way to keep that going once they enter into the school buildings again? Because sometimes the classroom can be overwhelming for a student. It can, can be creating anxiety. There may be behavioral issues there, but yet during the remote learning time, that's all been taken away. So I think we need to look at individual students that were thriving using this form of learning and try and keep that going for them because they must be feeling a large amount of success right now. Or I wonder too if it's in the remote context is because they're not on a particular schedule. You know, there's so much more flexibility in their, how they're spending their day, when they're doing tasks, perhaps that's part of it for some, you know, and, and I think that's a great point, Darlene, like how do we capitalize on that, the advantages of remote learning, even though we are anxious to get back and, and capitalize on the advantages of, of in-person instruction too. How can we keep the best of both worlds? I agree. I really like the idea that we need to look at what the takeaways are because I, I think we get tend to hold on so hard to what was past and to trying to just relive what was past and I think sometimes, or often, usually, I think it's human nature to miss what we're learning in the moment or what's good about the moment. And I really like, Darlene, that you brought that idea right at the beginning of the discussion. Um, well, I think it's okay. important that we don't go back to default or we don't go back to the old mm -hmm. normal. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's, we have a new normal. Yeah, I've, we're going to have to. It's inevitable. Yeah. 
well, learning is change, right? So what, what will change and what, what, and that means, what are we learning through this? Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to come and to be on our show. I just wanted to say thanks so much for, to Darlene for joining us and, and bringing the real world perspective to, to our conversation here at the, at the research center. Because I'm always excited to, to work with teachers in the field and, you know, see the theory. What, what does this theory that, you know, we spout at the university, what does it actually translate into in reality? And, and in this unprecedented time, teachers, I think, are, are really taking the reins of being these action researchers in terms of figuring out what works and what doesn't work on a, under a lot of pressure and a very short time frame. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Research Connection podcast. You can visit our website for links to everything that was mentioned in the episode and for more Research Connection content at www.brandonu.ca slash bu-cares. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you can stay up to date with current research that impacts your community. Thank you.